This brand new episode of Walk La Mile podcast, The Greg and Michelle Show, is brought to you by We Cook. We Cook brings you healthy meals and prepared fresh, delivered right to your home every week. And they give you, listeners of Walk La Mile, $50 off with promo code MILE, M-I-L-E, 50. So MILE, M-I-L-E, 5-0. You go on We Cook Meals. Dot ca you order and you get $50 off by listening to this podcast enjoy this brand new episode folks have fun we are supported by NFA nutrition NFA nutrition stands for nutrition for athletes but most importantly they truly believe in providing safe and quality supplements for everyone who want to improve their health and level of fitness with everything happening in the world right now rest assured they take great measures to ensure your safety their full lineup of products are Health Canada approved and they make sure no banned substance are present nowhere in their products. You know, when Michelle and I decided to partner up with them on our podcast, it's mainly because we share the same values of giving everybody a chance to stay healthy. And FA Nutrition also sponsor young athletes from speed skating to gymnasts so they can focus on their sport while NFA takes care of fueling their inner athlete. Don't forget the best part, all of their flavors are super yummy. Use our promo code to get 20% off on your next order, MILE20, M-I-L-E-20, and head over to their website to learn more at nfanutrition.com. Michelle Latendra, <laughs> what's up? Not much. What's up with you, Greg Lantot? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, both their name can be butchered in English. That's pretty funny. It's yeah, uh, yeah. well, nothing, uh, nothing much up. Just coming back from some snowboard shreds. We have a great winter here. It's awesome. Just back home, sipping on some kombucha, having fun. You know, very nice. That sounds like a good. What about you? Yeah. Um, not much. Just uh, just uh, getting over the weekend. I don't snowboard, but uh, I started cross country skiing, and specifically, I started skate skiing, and I did a bunch yeah, of that I this weekend. That. Yeah, yeah. So it was a um, good weekend of skate skiing. Michelle has to go fast <laughs> all the time, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, <laughs> and everything she you, does. For those of you who don't know, <laughs> cross country skiing is great. Cross cross-country skate skiing is like on steroids it's like running on snow but faster so yeah it's it's really cool it's really fun so anyone who does classic cross-country skiing has never tried it should 100% do it I'll um I'll let you keep on doing it and then you can <laughs> teach me how to do it so yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so we have a pretty special guest today, Mr. Yeah. TDC himself, the Dave Castro. Yeah, yeah. Um, big, pretty excited. Big. Yeah, big, yeah, big, huge, humongous uh, <laughs> guests. Pretty excited to um, offer that to our listeners, if I, if I may. Uh, but before we go on with Dave and uh, this whole interview, which is super awesome, um, Let's go on. I, I wanted to pick your brain about something because uh, a friend of yours, uh, the, the GOAT himself, Mr. Matthew Fraser, just retired from competing in CrossFit, which is kind of a, an okay news, you know, just before the season. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
what's your favorite Matt Fraser memory? Like, you know him on a personal level. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think we want to hear about this. Yeah. I mean, I've had the opportunity, the opportunity to train with Matt a few times. Um, I've done the team series with him. Um, we've done quite a few things. And um, I, I have to say like Matt is, um, Matt is quite a specimen. Like he is such a hard worker, but there's like, it's not even comparable to what we think of the term hard worker. Like, like it, there's like a, like we say in French in gush, you know, there's like one, he's like a step ahead on a lot of things, but I have to say that one of my favorite moments um, was when uh, I first met Matt and I didn't really know who he was. And uh, someone was telling me, we were down at CrossFit New England and someone was telling me about this guy, Matt Fraser. And being a competitive female athlete uh, back then, I had tunnel vision. So I wasn't too aware of the men's field. Um, so someone was telling me about this new guy in the, in the uh, Northeast that was gonna be with us this weekend. That's like the, he was like an up and coming star and like, he was really good. And then I found out he was an, had an Olympic lifting background. And I was like, how good can he be? You know, like uh, Olympic lifting doesn't translate to fitness, you know, like fitness translates to Olympic lifting, but doesn't work the other way around. Yeah. Usually. So uh, I remember doing a workout that I don't remember what exactly the workout was, but it was an empty bar thruster workout with running. And uh, I mean, I'm not to say that I'm good at any of those things. Like that's not my strength, but he, he beat everybody um, by a lot. And, and that's when I was like, whoa, who is this kid, you know? And, um, <laughs> another really funny moment. And I think this, this explains who Matt really is very well, but I remember Matt, uh, winning or getting second, um, at the CrossFit games. And we all know that comes with a good amount of prize money. And, uh, um, at one point, my boyfriend and I were in new England and we saw Matt and we were super happy to see him. And, he came in to the parking lot of CrossFit New England with like an Oldsmobile, like this old school. Yeah, I car. remember that car. Yeah, and it like it had really rickety doors, and he he drove that car up until he needed to change. You know, like so that's very remarkable about someone like Matt. You know, he's not very flashy, but he's hardworking, and and um, he is the example of what it takes to be the goat like not a lot of people are going to follow in those footsteps when they understand what what kind of sacrifices he did yeah everyone everyone goes to the gym for hours everybody does mobility everybody does everybody gets treatment but not a lot of people are spending time on the 0.0001 percent and that's what matt did better than anybody else he spent time on those like because at one point your potential kind of like reaches at a certain level and then all you're left to work with is minimalist percentage of getting better and he did it every single yeah. day until he retired so i was really I, impressive. I was kind of shocked when i read that he didn't even use uh a steak knife to cut to, to cut his meat not to get cut on one of his hands and have a chance to miss a workout so that's how obsessed the the guy was yeah so yeah it was a long time coming that uh um the olympic weightlifter with like the big hair uh, came yeah. to the crossfit community and made this yeah. video of this 225 pound isabel everyone remembers that we were like yeah. who the hell is this guy yeah and i remember the times you you brought him at deca to train with you and yeah uh, he was just blending so well in the community yeah. and uh, you know laughing with us and all that stuff and we were yeah. like hey it's it's still Matt Fraser you know so yeah I mean bringing him to DECA he came to DECA a few times to train and uh, it never felt like a burden you know sometimes uh, that caliber athlete comes with a big weight and a big presence that people respect but it's still kind of uh, it could be intimidating to introduce someone like that to your community and uh, it never felt like that Matt had time for everybody all the time Um, he was very generous with his, um, with his personality and his person, because like when you're that level of intense, you get tired and he never let it show. So it was really great to have him around. Um, I'm happy he's retiring. I think understanding what kind of pressures that you put on yourself like that, um, retirement yeah. is, um, 
I hope he does it. I have, I have no doubt he's going to do it well. Like there's like, he's well surrounded, but uh, yeah, he has a he great deserves team around it. him. That's for sure. Yeah. He deserves it. I mean, it's hard. It's very hard what he's done and it's not sustainable. So yeah. Anyway. So I think we'll have the chance to share our memories about Matt with him when he decides to come here in our podcast <laughs> I'm working or, on it. <laughs> or with some, or with some one of his team, just putting the word out there, people. Uh, if someone, of, if someone knows Matt. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, we're just going to give a shout out to O'Keefe. Just, Hey man, how are you? <laughs> anyway, so let's go on with Dave. Um, pretty cool chat we had with him yeah. and, uh, to everyone listening, thanks for being there. We truly hope you like this chat with Dave Castro and, uh, We'll see you next time. Sure thing. Um, all right, we're on. You guys ever film in French? Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes we do. Do you speak a little French, Dave? No, I don't. Oh, okay. Have you, guys, I don't. Have you uh, ever been to Montreal? Yeah, years ago. Uh, we did a seminar, one of our early level ones there. Uh, like at CrossFit Montreal. Yeah, yeah. And so I remember it vaguely, but it's a beautiful place. Um, but I've spent more time on the west side of Canada, uh, Vancouver, and especially specifically Vancouver, more so than the east side. Toronto, yeah. Toronto a couple of times. Yeah, I spent a little time in Toronto. Been Montreal is a, is a nice little city, like probably the most European city you can get in North America. But definitely the west side of Canada with the Rockies and all that stuff is, of course, spectacular. So, uh, <laughs> so thanks for being with us today, Dave. It's uh, truly an honor to have you as one of our guests. Um, as you know, our podcast is named Walk La Mile, which is a kind of a wink to uh, to our uh, bilingual here background in Montreal. Also, Michelle lives in uh, one of the neighborhoods in Montreal that's named the Mile X. Um, also walking, a, walking a mile in a man's shoes is, uh, something we, uh, hold dear here. So we want to know a lot about your background and the background of our guests and where they come from professionally and personally as well. And, um, also because both of us have major CrossFit backgrounds, uh, and we know the importance of a mile as being a milestone and such a great benchmark in uh, the CrossFit world. So that's where we come from and why we named the, the, the podcast this way. So uh, we can dive into it right, right. Uh... <laughs> Michelle's laughing. <laughs> you sound nervous. <laughs> I'm a little, ner how, how can I not be nervous? I mean, we're here. We knew yesterday, hey, you want to have Dave on the podcast? Uh, sure. Yes. Uh, let's get prepared. Let's get to it. So uh Nervous and excited. I'm, uh, yeah, that, that, that's how I feel. So Dave, um, we're going to dive right into this. And I, I, there's a lot of people that know who Dave Castro is and specifically the Dave Castro. And um, I can tell you that the community um, in Montreal or in Quebec is very unaware of who Dave Castro really is. And uh, so hopefully we'll, you know, put some light on that. So Dave, can you tell us like where you're from and, and where you are right now? Yeah, so I, I actually um, was born and raised in California. I was born in San Jose, California. And then at a really young age, our family moved to a ranch about an hour south of San Jose. And that's the home of the CrossFit Games. And that's the ranch I grew up on. And that's actually where I'm at right now. I, um, I got out of the Navy about a decade ago and stayed in San Diego. And then two years ago, I moved back up here. So I've been what I'm calling home. I've been back home. Not on, I don't live here, but I live near here for the last two years. And for me, okay. it's been, um, really a positive change. Yeah, a little bit less hectic, I can imagine. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> If you can call California hectic, I don't know. Our vision <laughs> of California is pretty laid back. Um, Well, that's really cool. Is born and raised in California. I, I think a lot of Quebecers are dreaming about making their way back there eventually. Um, tell me, 
So we know you um, as director of the CrossFit Games, and correct me if I'm wrong, like everyone um, sees you as the director of the CrossFit Games. Kind of before that, you were the director of the seminar staff, correct, in CrossFit organization? Um, So you were in, you said you were in the, not the Navy. Yes, the Navy. The Navy, the Navy, okay. Um, Can you, can you tell us, what kind of what important moments in your life that made you who you are today? So we see uh, TDC as the tip of the iceberg, <laughs> but what is it in your life, like in important moments that kind of like led you to where you are? Can you think of any anything? Yeah, sure. Well, one that stands out from an early phase of my life. Um, it's one of the toughest decisions I've had to make, but one of the most formative of definitely the most formative of who I am. And something that's kind of guided my decision making and thinking for the two decades since is was this decision. Um, after I graduated from high school, I was um, going to college. I had been accepted to a local college here in, in, near where I live in Monterey. It was uh, California State University, Monterey Bay. And I uh, went to the movies with my girlfriend at the time, somewhere between after college, or I'm sorry, after high school, between college. And we watched a movie called The Rock. It was with Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. And uh, (laughs) in the movie, it's in San Francisco. There's a landmark in San Francisco, Alcatraz. I I think it's a global landmark. Of course. Yeah. And so the Marines take over this island and uh, they send in special forces, Navy SEALs, Navy special forces to go rescue the island. The Navy SEALs end up getting killed. Marines end up um, holding onto the island. Someone else rescues it. But in that process, as a kid, I was super intrigued by these guys who came in in all black gear and in submarines and had all this cool um, equipment and they came out of the water. So I started researching the, this concept and this idea of or who the Navy SEALs were. And um, I did not have a stellar high school athletic career. I was on the football team all four years uh, never really started, started a game or two. I tried out for basketball, was cut from that, or not even cut. I didn't get picked to be on the team. So I can't <laughs> even say I was cut. Uh, I dabbled in wrestling a little, but wasn't for me. So I didn't have like a, a stellar high school experience with athletics. And then I started diving into and reading about Navy SEALs. And the theme or the thing I kept hearing was how they had the most difficult uh, training in the military. And so a seed was planted. I wonder if I can do that. I wonder what it, if I have what it takes to do that training and, and be one of them. So that, that notion just haunted me for, for a few months. And then I decided I was going, I thought, I talked to my parents, hey, I want to drop out of college and I want to enlist in the Navy. Nobody, nobody, family, friends, they really didn't agree with it. They suggested I stay in the Navy and finish the four years. In my mind, I thought, okay, I can stay in college and I can go through for four years. And by the time I finish, things will be very different for me. My life will probably have gone in a very different direction. And I probably won't pursue this goal that I had right now. And I even saw myself at like 30. I was like, I could be 30 years old, have a family and have this regret of, I wonder if I had what it, uh, if I wonder if I could be would have been able to become a Navy SEAL if I had what it took. And so I'm like, all right, I don't want any of these these regrets. I don't want to delay. I'm going to drop out of college and pursue this goal. And so for me, that was an an incredibly important moment in my life because I had to make a really tough decision against the grain of my family and friends at a very young age. I was like 18 and such a major decision to put my, you know, uh, to test myself and to put to put myself on the line in terms of going through that selection process and, and entering into that. Um, it worked out. And, and I think I, uh, from that phase though, I, I learned to not be, yeah, to not be afraid to, um, to go against the grain, to go again, to follow what you believe and to follow truly your dreams and, and aspirations. And in doing that though, too, it was also important in terms that it like kind of created this 
this this gnarly work ethic that I even still have now, or just this focus on a goal. Like when I get focused on something, I go all in. And at the time I focused on doing that and I went all in and training for it. So I started running a lot. I started doing a lot of physical uh, or push-ups and pull-ups and sit-ups. At that time, CrossFit wasn't really around. So I didn't know anything about CrossFit, wasn't doing CrossFit. Started swimming. Swimming was a big obstacle for me. I had to swim a lot because I didn't grow up. I mean, I knew how to swim, but I didn't grow up swimming like that. So I started training all of those things to succeed at that goal. And um, for that phase, that was definitely, and even, I mean, even now at this stage of my life, that's one of the most important decisions I ever made because that just put in this chain of events that even leads me to be right here. Like if I wouldn't have been a Navy SEAL or enlisted in the Navy, I definitely wouldn't have been where I am with CrossFit or do what I do for CrossFit. Cause it just, it just kind of layered in, you know, things mm-hmm. fell into place. So that's the catalyst and you found, and I find it really interesting, Dave, that, that you have decided you tried all kinds of little challenges, basketball, football, and all these things, and you were never ready to make the cut yet something so raw and so considerably hard compared to making the football team in college. You just said, well, that's where I'm going to put all my, my efforts in. So that's, that's a really that's very interesting. Yeah. And um, when, it, even talking through it with you, it's like, um, and it's a very, it was on me too. So, you know, when you're talking about a football team, you're competing against other people or, or for spots and like it's athletics. And, but this was now a, a tremendous mental challenge. It's obviously very physical, but it's also a tremendous mental challenge that was like all going to be made or I was going to make it or break it on my back and off of my own hard yeah. work. And speaking of regrets, I mean, I have two questions regarding that. Um, how did you know that you would not regret the choice of joining the the Marine Corps? Navy, but... <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah. sorry. Or did you regret right after? <laughs> like when you started the process, you go, oh my God, what yeah. did I get myself into? Well, that's the thing too. When I talk to people nowadays, it's um, a lot of people, kids and stuff will come up and say like, I want to be a SEAL. I know you're a SEAL. Yeah. What do you recommend? And I tell them, uh, well, you got to join the Navy, first of all. <laughs> like, so that's the big first step is like, and that's a huge step. Like people have these dreams of becoming special forces or a SEAL or whatnot. But like, you just have to even enlist in the military, in this case, the Navy. And it's okay that you said Marines, because there's, there's a, the, 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 uh, <laughs> the US military, we have a lot of different branches. So it's, it's <laughs> uh, but anyway, so making that choice that even just to enlist was a huge, huge uh, decision to make because there was a good chance, the odds were stacked against me that I wouldn't make it through the training to be a SEAL and I would just um, be in the Navy. And what do you- Stop it, stop it. No, okay. What do you you contribute the most to the fact that you did make it? What was it about you that all the odds are stacked against you but you made it well it's definitely um, a strong mindset so the the piece the reason why people make it through that training again even though it's um, incredibly physical the most important part about it is the mental challenge and being strong in that area and i just like it's interesting because i was really young 18 19 i didn't have a lot of life experiences but i knew if i gave that everything I had and did not quit or, or wash out. I knew it would set me on a course for the rest of my life. That would be very profound and significant. Like I just, it was, it's a six month long training process. People there, you know, I think 25, 30% of the people who enter it even make it through just to get to that spot's really hard. And, um, they make you quit through various torture and the cold water and various physical challenges, or you wash out for performance. The notion of quitting to me, I, I just always, it never crossed my mind because again, I, I had this idea that like, this will transform and define me for the rest of my life if I'm able to make it through. So suck it up for the next five minutes, for the next day, and just get through this because this is what you wanna be and this will be who you become if you can get through this really challenging moment. And um, I think that's what, that's what helped me get through it. It's, 
it's fascinating. This story, just, just telling about the fact that you didn't make the basketball team, that wrestling wasn't for you, that you were just on the football team. You didn't say, you didn't say you were performing or pursuing anything in there. You were just, and you turned around and took probably the biggest physical and mental challenge there is. And you said, no, you know what? I'm going to be good at this and I can mm -hmm. make it even though you didn't have anything to prove you or anyone around you. You said you went against the grain. Uh, for th just that move for me speaks, speaks a lot, speaks volumes. It must've been, it must've been so hard on your friends and family. I mean, when you're doing that training, you're, <laughs> you're kind of not with them, but it must've been so hard like, for them what to understand what you were doing? going through. My family for sure. And my family was really worried about me because I mean, they knew how tough it was. And, and honestly, like, I don't think my parents thought I was going to make it, which of course, because I mean, I'm not like a physical beast of a person. I was just an average little kid. So they didn't think, I don't think they had high expectations for me. Obviously, once I did make it through, they were really proud. And, you know, like, so I was trying to prove something less to them and more to myself. I was trying to find, mm -hmm. I think I was trying to find my identity, trying to find my place, like, the high school phase and all that stuff that happened there was very all that needed to happen to get me to this place and mm -hmm. where I would succeed at that all the failures and the disappointments in high school I believe were necessary for me to get into the mindset where okay this is it this is what I'm going to succeed at and this is what I'm going to do at and all costs so going off of what you said saying that that experience would lead you to a profound existence and and um profession and and all that um do you think that that ex that profound meeting translates to what you do now with crossfit in the crossfit games oh yeah absolutely and and so i think that i was in the navy for 12 and a half years and that decade plus was incredibly formative of who i am now and what i do with the crossfit games um specifically a few things like this desire to succeed and win it just functions and operates at like a really high level. And I only say, and I can say that it sounds arrogant, but I can say that because I mean, I went through it at the highest of levels in terms of selection process for the military. And then I was at the most elite teams. And so it, there was just this level of performance that was necessary to, to survive at those teams and at that level that has totally carried over to what I do. And like when I, own things, and I don't mean like owning my phone, but I mean like owning like a space or have a responsibility. Like I take that really professionally and I care a lot about it. And, and you know, this space of the games and the competition and the programming, like it, in some regard, it is very representative of me at this point because, you know, I've built it and been with it for so long that I really take pride in making it the best that it can be because it is a reflection of me. And so I want to, I, I kind of live through that and, and thrive through making the games the best they can be, programming them to the, to the level that makes me uh, satisfied with that they're meeting the intent that we have for them. So, oh yeah, every, every, piece, of, every piece of me from that period is ex definitely expressed in my work now for CrossFit in the games. And after all these years, you're speaking about the games and we saw you, we know how passionate you are, how uh, I guess we can say obsessed with the programming of the games and the organization and all that stuff. But after what, 13, 14 years since 2007, when it started on your ranch in Aromas and now hopefully back in Madison, Wisconsin this year again, uh, what fires you up to, to still push the games further every year, push the athletes and make it bigger and bigger. Uh, other than it's a reflection of what you're putting to the world and make it the best you can do, what fires you up to, uh, to do this every year repeatedly? I care. I care about the event. I care about the athletes. I care about the sport. I care about the community. I've been involved with CrossFit for so long that like, there's really the passion that I have for it is, is genuine. And I couldn't see myself doing anything else right now. The only thing I could see myself doing, if I wasn't doing this, I would have stayed in the Navy because um, I had that same sort of passion for that. But at this point, you know, making the decision to get out and do this full time was the right decision. And, um, you know, I'm not in this for like a transition period to something bigger and better. Like this is it. This is what I want to do. And, and I was very fortunate 
to be in a position in 2007 where Greg Glassman asked me, hey, can you run, do you want to run an event on your parents' ring? And I said, yes. And so like, it's pretty significant that uh, there's only going to be ever one person who, who created the CrossFit game. There might be many others who run it in the future, but like I was the first, I ran the first CrossFit games and I've ran every other since then. And so to me, it's like a child. And you know, when your child yeah. is 13, 14, 15, you still don't lose uh, your love or enthusiasm for them. It actually might even grow a little. And for me, as it's grown, I think that has also grown. The, the passion I have for it and the love I have for it, as it scales up, as it gets bigger, as it becomes more mainstream, um, it's, it's hard for me to not be passionate about it. There's some aspects though, there are some things where I get less within the system where I get less passionate about or get less interested in as it gets larger. Um, and I've had to kind of deal with where I want to put my focus, even for like a great question be what's the, I imagine you're going to ask this, well, what's an example of that? There was a phase. A few I years was, ago. That's exactly where I was going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to answer it for you. Uh, there was a phase before, before it was tossed up on its head where like I was so over the open announcement. And uh, I was actually just gonna stop doing them all together because I just didn't like, I didn't like that anymore. And I wasn't, um, I just, it just got, it was, it was something I wasn't finding enjoyment in at the time. And so when I did the last open announcement in, uh, in Iceland with the daughters, I had them announce it. And that was kind of like my first step towards like, not ne the next year, not announcing the next year I did not announce but that was all not by my choice interestingly I wanted to control that and I wanted to be <laughs> the one who said okay now I'm not announcing but the changes that the that Greg and the leadership at the time thrust on us forced me not to announce so my point being I didn't want to go out like that but um but now the enthusiasm is back now that was just a little phase so uh, <laughs> Now I'm excited about it. I think that two-year break, that two-year break from uh, announcing opens, uh, I have that fire back. And then there's a lot of little logistics things, like as it's grown and scaled up, there's things you mm. have to go and turn over to different members of the team and and let them oversee as it as it grows. Yeah. Yeah, I think the community asked for it back, and I mean, I, I think you guys listen to the community, and that that's very. That's an amazing move by you guys that that you brought the open announcements back. I think everyone in the world is happy. And uh, yeah, I think I'm pretty fired up about, oh, Michelle has something. She made an announcement, right? How did you feel? Yeah, I, I did. So funny thing, like the announcements, we used to watch it with the community, right? It was a community thing. We would, every night we would get together at the gym and watch these things. And everyone would start saying about how, oh my God, you know, so-and-so athlete isn't in shape or wow, that's surprising or whatnot. So I was always like, I would never do that. If they asked me, I would never do it. <laughs> and they, I got an email from Tim Chan at the time saying, hey, Michelle, you want to be in an open announcement? And I was like, yes, send. <laughs> 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 so it was a... I did it with Emily Bridgers. It was yeah. 15 uh, 15.1. It was the overhead squats and chest to bar like ladder. We were in Austin. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was Austin. a good. We've been to Austin twice, I think, because the second time we went to Austin, I think, or maybe that was San Antonio. We were with, uh, I think, Valner, Colstater, and Frazier. Uh, I can't. I can't remember where, but I, like, it was a great experience and it was like something very unique. And I was very, very fortunate to go through that. Cause I mean, like being asked to fly down to Austin for a one night event, it's like, Hey, okay, why not? You know, but it was really good. Um, very enjoyable, a little snippet of what the, um, the invitational used to feel like, you know, so it was really cool. Yeah. Uh, Dave, uh, and probably Michelle, uh, let's let's chat about this dave what is your favorite open memory you made all the announcements you programmed all of the open workouts uh your favorite memory and your favorite workout and michelle think about this because you're going to answer next <laughs> um 
when we did the open announcement in Madison, where it was the thrusters and mm. uh, double unders, um, Frazier said something to me offline, like, oh, this workout silly. Everybody's going to be within a couple seconds of each other. There's going to be like 30 or 40 people all bunched up and there's going to be no spread. And uh, I was like, dude, that's ridiculous. You have no idea. And like, we kind of had this little verbal spat over it. And like um, that weekend or at the end of the weekend, I was watching the scores closely and I sent him a note and said, hey, dude, here's the scores. Look, you're like 15 seconds ahead of number two. And then number two is like five. And so this notion, he was like worried that everyone was going to be compressed in this like, you know, whatever, 545 and 546 and there's going to be no tiebreaker that didn't play out at all. And so sometimes, well, that is one moment I remember right now, fresh in my head because of the Frazier retirement and all that's going on. That's one significant moment. A, a couple other big moments. The two we did in California were pretty uh, memorable. The one we did, we did one in um, with Kalipa, Camille, Briggs, and Froning. And that was yeah. the thruster <laughs> pull up. Um, yeah. That was in a really cool venue in Santa Cruz. And that was a lot of energy. And then in San Francisco, we ended up doing that one with um, it was another thruster, um, thruster, uh, not, not burpee, might have been burpee. And it uh, it was in a really big venue that was a lot of fun um, that had the athletes. I think it was Annie Grant. It was all past champions. Thor's down Graham Oldberg. Yeah. yeah um, I remember Kalee that one. Froning all coming down the floor. That was significant because that was the first event that we did that was for time in the open. And so on mm. that one, I, I did the whole four time and threw my watch. And so yeah. <laughs> um, of recent, the Brazilian one was a lot of fun because the energy there was so um, intense. And then there was a phase where we did, where we traveled just, I traveled internationally and then the rest of the team stayed. And I think actually went to Canada one year. I think, so Valner and our team was in Canada for the mashup or the head to head. And I think I was in Italy for the announcement or maybe. Oh yeah. And so those were always fun because the, the travel and the pace around those is really fast. Um, mm. They've all been fun and memorable for different reasons, but mm. the last really few cool. I didn't, the, the other ones I didn't even watch. Like when, when we <laughs> gave it up and other people did them, I have no idea what I, we pro I programmed, we gave them to those teams and, um, I didn't watch any of them. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the most memorable ex open experience, because it was such a, a kick in the teeth, um, was the seven minutes of burpees. <laughs> that is I like that. I really like that one because back then, uh, seven minutes of burpees for us was an all out sprint, was like, just give it for seven minutes. And today it's totally like one rep makes a huge difference and it's all about how you calculate your efforts. Like it just, sh I like that workout because it demonstrates the evolution of the sport as being something that was so raw and now it's slowly getting more defined and, and, well, and like organized. See, I would like to see that one done by some of the modern champs and modern athletes mm -hmm. to see what, I, I mean, I, I have no idea if anybody's redone it in training recently. Oh, I give my athletes that workout on a regular basis. Yeah. What do you? If you don't want to share this, you share offline with me. But I'd like to know what some of the top guys get on it. Sure. Okay. It's it, they don't beat my score, but I was a midget. Do you remember? Who, do you remember who had the top score in that workout? It was a Russian top? dude. Yeah, it was a Russian dude. Yeah, now here's yeah, what every yeah. so that's the answer everybody gives. There's a Russian dude. <laughs> now listen, no, listen, listen. Actually, the Russian dude tied with an American, an unknown I American. I remember that. The American was an ex-gymnast, wasn't he? No, no, no. The American was Scott Panchik. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. oh shit. That's a wow. little fact. Nobody because he was an unknown at the time. Yeah. He was, he was tied with the, so everybody talks about the Russian because it's such a better story. There's this Russian <laughs> who won the burpee, uh, who, seven minutes of burpees, but actually he had tied with an American and that American was Scott. And, oh. and at the time, Scott was new to CrossFit and wasn't doing a lot of barbell stuff. I think he told me he eventually retested it. And as he became more fit, that score actually came down. Yeah. I'm not but surprised. He's obviously yeah, not more, more well-rounded. But yes. 
I'm not surprised Scott did well in that workout. He moves so well. For me, he's one of the male athletes uh, over the years that I, I saw moves so well in every single movement he's doing. So, but that, that that's just my impression. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Dave, last year, uh, CrossFit was kind of one of the pioneers after the pandemic. Well, during the pandemic by saying, we're going to hold our world championship uh, this year, no matter what. And uh, at, at first uh, there were some critics about it and it ended up being such a good thing with the community that when the games finally happened uh, on the ranch, everyone kind of needed it. And it, it was kind of a ray of light um, in, in all of what we faced in 2020. And it seems this year, uh, this year's open is pretty much the same thing. Uh, even though a lot of gyms are closed around the world, uh, I think a lot of people from what I hear, from what Michelle hears as well, Uh, are looking forward to the open in any way they can do it. Um, did you see it as a, I don't know, as a big event to rally everyone around the world and uh, make, make this big happening um, this year? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Basically, it's, uh, so you look at the games and the games, what we pulled off there was a huge um, unifier for the community to watch and be inspired and see like, okay, CrossFit's still here, CrossFit's not going away, and they're rallying and they're fighting hard to make the competition go. So that was one stage of it, as you mentioned. Now, the second big piece of it is the community aspect of it and bringing everyone together to actually engage them. And now is your chance, instead of to be a passive viewer of the sport, now's everyone's chance who's in the community in CrossFit to play along again. And you know, the mm -hmm. thing is, um, It's like a re it can be viewed for those who have kind of taken a step back as like a reset point or maybe a re-entry point, meaning, okay, I've had all this stuff going on for the past year. I haven't been able to train. I haven't been able to get to my gym or I just made it less of a priority because of what's going on. Maybe I would hope it would be cool if this was the impetus for people to like, all right, I'm getting back in the gym. I'm going to train for the open or even more extreme all right, I'm going to just join the open and just start from scratch and then use the open to catapult my uh, fitness journey back on path and back in a direction that's healthy for that mm. has a healthy outcome for the individual. So I really do hope, I really do hope that there's people in the open or in the community that view the open as, as an anchor essentially to um, coming back into to the, their local community, coming back into their box. Uh, and if they can't get in their box, maybe it's re-engaging with their box. And I say that in terms of like Zoom yeah. classes or not even Zoom classes, but let's call it Zoom workouts. So do the at-home version with your coach on Zoom watching you and submit a score. And that might, right there might be motivation enough to get you once everything opens back up. Yeah. It's, uh, definitely well, giving, it's definitely giving people a little light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, we're one of the areas here that gyms have been closed since October and have yet to open again. Um, so I know that for us, it's giving us fuel, you know, to kind of communicate with people. It's giving us a light. But one thing I can't go around this, we can't not ask you, but one thing that is on everyone's minds about the 2021 season um, is Matt Fraser's retirement. He's He's been a dominant figure um, in, in the sport for so many years. And It's been such a, I mean, for the last couple of years, we've seen changes within the CrossFit organization. We've seen changes within the CrossFit Games organizations. We've seen changes in the, in how CrossFit gyms operate. We've seen all kinds of changes. And then this change really, um, again, changes the landscape of the competition. And, and what are your thoughts on that? How do you think that's going to affect the season? Well, this change is less extreme than some of the other changes we've seen. Meaning well, yeah. <laughs> Some of the other changes we've seen, the big organizational changes, have been pretty extreme. This is a change that's like, okay, this is positive and, uh, and cool and okay. What um, a year. Yeah, it was inevitable. Eventually, he would have to step down and retire and or he would start losing. And I don't say that as an insult or a slight, but it's just the nature of competition at this level. Well, it makes sense. It makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it's, it's just the reality of it. He chose it to be right now. And the thing is, he's... um. As you know, Michelle, and as these people compete at this high of level, it takes a lot of mental focus and energy 
to constantly do that year after year after year and to win like he is. So to win like he is, arguably it takes more mental focus and more hard work than, than everyone else is putting on. And the pressure that he's putting on himself, his family, his sponsors, um, that's not sustainable. It's not like, I hope nobody was thinking he was gonna win six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 times. I don't think anybody was thinking this, that, but there was a point when that was gonna happen. He chose it to be right now. We went through one phase where we had a dominant athlete who was winning every year and that was rich. And then when he retired, people were very concerned and some people hit me up and said, hey, are you worried like you've lost your star? That's gonna hurt CrossFit. And I said, absolutely not. This machine is too big. This sport is too big. It's gonna roll on and someone else will fill his shoes right away. I didn't think someone else would fill his shoes and win five times in a row. Um, <laughs> and that's what happened. Someone else stepped right in and won five times in a row. At the time with Rich, I said, we'll never see that dominance again. We did with the next champion. At this time with Matt, I'll say that. We'll never see this dominance again. Now watch, we're gonna see Medeiros come in and win for six years. Um, <laughs> but, but my point is, it's fine. It's good for him. If it's good for him, it's fine for the sport. It's gonna create better stories and narrative around the individual men competition uh, this year. Cause now we get to see someone new. The battle for like winning the top spot at the games this year for the men is going to be intense because like there's going to be all these hungry men who want to prove that they deserve the opportunity to stand on top of the podium and so like i'm excited about that mm -hmm. I'm, excited. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited about the idea of just like a good race on the men's side throughout the whole competition and just a good battle for that top spot yeah, that's really interesting. And, and you were, this is a kind of sideline question. You were talking about the mental focus it takes to win. I would argue that the mental focus it takes for to do what you're doing would be much, much the same. Yeah. I mean, I'm competing against the, I feel like oftentimes when I'm making these events, I'm community competing against the world. I'm competing against yeah. the community. And like, I say that because everybody's judging the show we put on, the program we put on, and so for me, that's motivation and that's inspiration um, to make it the best it can be and best visual. Um, I don't think of myself as competing against the athletes. I think of myself as putting a test on for the athletes, but I'm definitely competing against the consumer. And I say that in a positive light. I say that in like, not like they're well, my- you, you, I, Well, I know when I competed, like I wanted to beat my opponents but there's also a, a question that I want you know you want your opponents or your the, the people you're fighting for to kind of enjoy and, and appreciate what you bring to the table and stuff like that so that's totally understandable but what you said right there is very significant because so so many athletes don't have that mentality which you just conveyed and this notion of I wanted to beat my opponents there's a lot of athletes that have this mindset of I'm just going out there to do the best I can and like, if you have that mindset, I believe you're already at a disadvantage because like it or not, it is a competition against people to your left and right. And you do have to beat the guy to your left and right. When you look at the champions, you look at Matt Frazier, you look at Rich Froney, even Tia, when they're competing, they're not just thinking about their performance and looking forward. They're looking all around and they're seeing where everyone else is. So you, your mindset is absolutely spot on with that. Like you want to win your first everyone to your left and right. And, and the thing is, that's motivation for sometimes I've heard athletes say, hey, I'm just going to do as good as I can, or I'm going to do the best I can and be happy with that. Well, the best you can might not be better than the guys to your left and right. And so on that floor, you have to raise that and you have to go past it. I'm going to be better than I've ever been to get past the guys and to fight. And um, that's a significant piece of being a champion in this sport. Do you think that what you just said about beating the other people and is something that you've strived to do in your life? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's like my mindset towards, towards everything I do. Um, you know, yeah. like being, it's a desire to be the best. It's a desire to excel at everything you do. Um, yes. So I have, I, I say that mindset about the athletes, but I also totally have that mindset in, in the things I do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. I guess you definitely can't be the top of anything unless you, you don't have that kind of mindset. Sorry, Greg, go ahead. No, no, it's a great point you're adding. Dave, um, I know you don't like these type of questions, but I'm still going to go for it. Do you see anyone going for the title? Do you see any 
men that could be uh, not Matt Fraser's successor, but anyone, not necessarily an athlete we signed the top five this year, uh, but someone who could, uh, you know, we have our personal favorite uh, here. I'm, I'm going to leave Michelle out of this, uh, but I mean, as a Canadian that's been there for years and the rival of Matt, I mean, Pat Vellner, who's been there for a couple of years. Um, do, do you see anyone who... Uh... It's not that I don't like that question. I would, I would say in terms of my perspective towards that, I don't really like um, engage in that way. Meaning when Matt retired, I'm not sitting there like, oh man, this is Noah's year or this is Patrick's year, or maybe this guy's going to come up. I, I kind of disconnect from um, like people always before the game. So they'll be like, Dave, you know, the programming, who do you think's going to take top three? And I'll answer, well, I think Matt's going to win beyond that. I have no idea because I'm not like sitting there looking at the athletes strengths and weaknesses and trying to figure out like, ah, oh, this guy's going to be really good on this. This guy's going to do that. And then this will be the outcome. I think that I disengage from that and don't play in those type of like, I'm not a fan like that it actually gives me a strength in being able to program fairly for everyone. You know, recently I was hearing these rumors of like people were talking about, they think I program against individuals or program in favor for individuals. And that so couldn't be further from the truth because like I program absent from anyone in mind. I'm not even thinking there's been times, there's been games when I don't even know the top, the, the, the athletes going to the games. Meaning like, I'm not someone who'd say, oh, so-and-so is going to be at the games. I'd be really, I didn't know they were gone. Like I, I really, that's not on the top of my mind or at all. I try to keep it outside of my mind when, when creating these workouts. One thing I said a few months ago was, um, and it is an interesting perspective on how I program. I program for this like ultimate expression of this person who will win every event. So like, imagine like, like this uh, Batman or the, the ultimate CrossFitter who has no flaw and like, that's what I'm programming for. I'm programming for the ultimate crossfitter who just excels at everything and, um, and ba having balance, but, and that's an oversimplification of it, but having a balanced, complete test of fitness. It's very, it's yeah. very interesting. It's very interesting. And we have, I think there's a couple athletes on the rise here, but I got to ask, I'm sorry. Cause I know the community here wants to know. Uh, and see it as a, a, a as just a little humoristic question here. But I know after the the fittest documentary was released, there was kind of this I'm gonna say this bromance breakup between Dave Castro and Patrick Vellner. So are you guys cool? Is everything okay now? Is I'm a super. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll talk about that real quick. Um, first, before I talk about that, I do want to say this about Vellner. The year he tore his, I think it was bicep or whatever at that regional. What yeah. I saw then, at that moment, that was the only other person I thought who can give Matt any run for his money and thought could win the games. So for a year or two after that period, I was like, this guy's legit. He's well-rounded. He could potentially win the games. The only thing that kept him from doing that was Matt. Um, I don't <laughs> know if I feel that way now and nothing against him or as an individual, just because of this notion of like, father time has crept in and it's been like four or five years since that. And so, yeah. you know, there's a lot of improvements athletes do make, but there's also a lot of wear and tear. And also, um, you know, it's a long time to be doing this at a high level. How old is he now? Uh, he's 30. Uh, 31. No, Two? he's 30. 30. Yeah. So, so, so in my, no, eyes, he's 31. In my eyes at that age, I kind of view him like, in terms of elite individual male competitor at this stage, he's starting to, to be on the uh, outlier of age um, because he frankly is like you're, I think two years ago at the games, there was one male athlete that was in their thirties. Everyone else was in their twenties. And I think the average was like 26 on the female side. It was different. Like there's more. Female. Well, there are, there are more females in their later years, but the podium has been under 25 for many years. Yeah, yeah. Madero's, Adler, Quant, yeah. super, super young guys. So, so, so the odds at this point, or it's becoming, it might be, I believe, and this isn't a dig at him, but I believe it might be out of his reach. Obviously, this is his best chance ever with Matt out, but we'll see, we'll see with this season what happens. Oh, in terms of friend, like he, he's, um, yeah, I, we're friends and I like the guy. And we were actually talking back and forth through all of this stuff going on. Um, I don't remember why he reached out, but while it was happening, we'd like kind of touched base and uh, shot the shit. 
and and I like him. And the thing is, like, here's the thing: I don't have a problem with any of these athletes. I'll sometimes poke or sometimes like uh, stimulate discussion or conversation, but it's not in a malicious way. It's more of a promotional way or, <laughs> or a uh, to create dialogue, not with basically. Them. People need to stop taking shit personally. Basically. Yeah, people really do need to stop. People really do need to stop taking shit personally. And I don't try to go personal that often. I really don't think I do. But, but, um, and in terms of the stuff then around that show, like if philosophically, I disagreed with some of the content they were saying. And so I didn't think it was a big deal to, I don't even, I don't even, I didn't think I was that unrespectful. I do have a large platform, but I just addressed it and said, hey, this is what they're saying. This is what I, how I see it or what I believe. And that's healthy. Having, having two sides of the story or two perspectives is totally healthy. It's okay to, and it's okay to disagree on things. Um, Absolutely. So, so that's what that was about. It was, and, and yes, we are good. And I like him. I like him. <laughs> Amazing. We're all smiles, amazing. <laughs> Um, my last question on, on the open be, being the format that we have, um, this year, so people can make it at home, people can make it from the gym and the, this programming was going to be, I guess, adjusted. I'm super pumped about the open, uh, actually this year. Uh, do you think it will be harder for the top athletes to make their mark with the rest of the pack this year to distantiate from the, from the rest of the athletes from only in the open? No, I don't. And, and what's really nice about it is, so you do have the open three weeks to, 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 to excel, but let's say, let's take Valner because we're talking about Valner. Let's say he doesn't do great in the open and let's say he's not even in the top 100. Let's say he's not even in the top 30 times four or 40 times four. What are we saying? So we're taking, um, uh, 80, 160 athletes from semifinals to four, um, from, from quarterfinals to the semifinals, let's say we didn't have the quarterfinals and let's say we only had the open to the semifinals and let's say he, so in that specific situation, he would have to finish 160th or better in three weeks of test to get to the next level. And that's, that's kind of tight. And your question there is really significant because a little slip up and falling off that 160 to make it to this next level. And I might have my numbers wrong, but you get the point. Um, would be a massive blow. Yeah. But what's really cool, since we're taking the 10%, the margins for error out of the open to get to the quarterfinals are massive. Like you could finish in the thousand, I think, you know, and still have done enough work to get to the quarterfinals and then regroup in the quarterfinals and then do what he needs to do there to advance to the semifinals. So my point being is the open, I think the right people will still rise to the top, but even if something does go wrong, the right people aren't going to slip out of the system because of the addition of quarterfinals. It's really, it's really inclusive of all the top athletes. And you really have, like, if you don't make it to the semifinals this year, you really didn't make it because you don't belong. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but I mean that there's multiple stages and I mean that in terms mm -hmm. of performance and capabilities. I'm super pumped about the news that we had uh, with the quarterfinals and also the semifinals coming back um, while well, coming back. Some kind of that regional slash sanctionals format, uh, which is now the semifinals. Uh, I, I want to pick both of your brains around it. Um, I'm, I'm super pumped about it. Michelle, I don't know what you uh, think of this format, if you like the way it's going. I think that we have a format for the future now for the games to be settled for the next let's say 10, 15 years. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about it. Dave, uh, can, can you tell us more about uh, what we can expect from the semifinals? Or? Yeah, I'm really excited about it too. I really hope we have a really good plan in terms of if they all go and as events aren't able to happen, we have a plan that scales and we take it online for that group. So out of quarterfinals, there's 10 semifinals. The, the athletes will be seated into, their, um, into a quarterfinal. And let's take North America as an example. We have four events there. Let's say Valner ends up in, uh, in quarterfinal number one, we'll call it, out of four. And Fikowski ends up in quarter, quarterfinal number four. Um, if quarterfinal number one has to go online, that goes off and all those 30, 40 athletes compete against each other online. Mm -hmm. And let's say quarterfinal number four with Fikowski 
still happens in person while well, he competes against all his athletes. Now, let's say they all go online. Well, all of those events still compete against the same amount of athletes. So the opportunities to get to the games from quarterfinals, the group that goes against each other in semifinals, no matter if it's in-person or virtual, will still compete against each other. And the reason it'd go virtual, obviously, is because an area is closed down or an event can't happen because of COVID. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what's really cool is because we, we're not doing regionals anymore. We don't have regions. We do have regions. We have continents. The flexibility to grow is tremendous. And so what I mean by that is like, there could be a situation where North America has six, seven, eight, nine events and Europe has six, seven, eight, nine events. And it's just based on, we're not redefining lines. It's basically, yeah, modeled after con continents, established uh, lines in society. Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree. Like, it's hard for me to say anything because it's, I like, I don't want to pronounce myself on something that I haven't seen yet, but uh, it seems like there's been a consolidation of the best of both systems that we went through. Um, um, what I really enjoyed about um, regionals was that it was, uh, as an athlete, obviously, was that it was uh, um, standardized. The tests were the same. So when you competed um, in Canada East and you saw competition in Australia, you could, as an athlete, compare yourself to, I don't know if that's going to, I know that I don't, I don't think that that's going to happen, but the fact that it is more structured and streamlined seems a lot less chaotic. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited to see really, I really feel like 2021 is going to be hard to identify it. Yeah. I'm excited for 2022 <laughs> uh, and in 2022, hopefully there are no more changes and that we can kind of like continue to excel at, at, uh, at the new system. But I think it's going to be a good time. I'm very excited. I'm, I'm more excited than the, in the first a seasonal change when they announced two sanctionals, which ended up being a very interesting events, you know, like finance, um, economically was interesting for, for companies that grew around CrossFit. At first I thought it was going to be catastrophic and then it ended up being actually really good for business for a lot of businesses. And then this coming year is going to be a little bit more structured for coaching perspective. It's going to be a little bit easier to organize from a, from an athlete development perspective. So I'm very excited to see how that goes. Um, I think I, I've always, you know, last year I had a sense of loss with CrossFit, um, with the competition scene. It was very, I was, it was like, it was just, it felt like a loss of some kind. And now it just feels like the, the, the right people are doing the right things and the right decisions are being made and everything is going, everything is good in the world and, and decisions are being done for growth and for uh, a, 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 the athletes are being heard, the community is being heard, the organizers are being heard. So it's, it just feels like it's going in the right direction. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Props, yeah. Prop, props to, yeah. to you and all the, 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 the CrossFit team, Dave. Uh, yeah. You. We're excited. So I, have, yeah. I have one last question and that's, we're going to be, we're going to be done after this, but um, so you've, you've accumulated so much experience and we've talked mostly about um, professional experiences and, um, but with all the experiences combined that you've accumulated so far, like, can you give us an idea of what the next steps are for you? Well, the next step for me in the immediate near term is just kind of, stabilize this sport, get it back on track and survive uh, in the current leadership of the new company, <laughs> which I will, but it's just, it's all new. So I, uh, I got to, I got to adapt. And, you know, I worked in one regime and one way of doing things for 15 years. And now I have a new team and we're a few months into it. And there's a lot of, um, I'm a, I'm a challenging person at times. So I have to learn how to, uh, adapt and adapt. Grow in a new environment and so those are some of my near-term um goals excellent that's excellent but yeah it's hard it, it is hard to adapt but sometimes it's like the best thing that can happen yeah for absolutely. whatever I'm, reason and i'm really happy and, and everything that's going on is is uh is exciting it's just so different it's just different <laughs> yeah. and different is okay <laughs> yeah of course yeah. excellent 
Um, I've got no more questions, Greg. I'm good. I'm good too. Uh, Dave, uh, thank you so much for your generosity, for your straight up answers. Love it. Uh, super pumped for this season. Th thank you for uh, going against everything we, we saw in the world in the past year against this pandemic. And I think that you, you were right by calling the games last year to still be on. And this year, having the Open uh, from everywhere around the world, I can't wait to... Uh, you know, uh, I don't know, do burpees at six inches and that wall right behind me and do all that kind of stuff. I think it's going to be pretty exciting for everyone. I'm speaking for everyone in the community as well. Thank you so much once again. Thank you, Dave. Thank, Thank you, guys. You. I appreciate it. Talk to Take you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.